Good morning, one and all. All in one, too. <clears throat> well, I know I don't look like Robin. She was supposed to teach today, but... That's funny, you don't look like Robin. But she was... You smell like Robin. I do. <laughs> it must be the oils. There's the oils. I smell like Robin. Oh, I'm not... I'm not good at filibustering, so I shall, I shall just begin. I, I'm not good at chit-chat. You would think I could after all these years, but I just have never gained that skill. Anyway, so let's, let's just get to it this morning. Let's, let's start with prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for this glorious day, and we thank you for your spirit that is alive within us. We thank you, Father, for our relationship with you. And for the fact that it's your desire that it always deepens. And I thank you, Father, for um, this, this um, look into Daniel's life this morning. And I, I pray, Father, that um, you would be glorified in the midst of this teaching this morning. And that there would be some way that we would be drawn even deeper into our relationship with you through what is released so we, we bless the words, and um, we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. So <clears throat> my personal study over the last couple weeks has been in the book of Daniel. And in reading that, um, I noticed that, of course, beside being an intercessor of note, he embodies the very elements that God is renewing and expanding within each of us as saints in regards to being gatekeepers and in regards to expanding our assessment skills spiritually. So I thought it might be a good thing to just kind of look at some of those elements involved within him and um, see what we can glean from that. As I was reading, it caused me to kind of marvel anew at not just the level of end time insight that God shared with him, that he entrusted to Daniel, but the fact that what he patterned is very much where God is leading us in this next phase of sonship. So let's just look at a few things about him first here, just some facts. He was, he was a fairly young man when he was taken from uh, Jerusalem to Babylon. There's no definitive answer as to his exact age, but he was probably somewhere in his mid-teens to his tw early 20-somethings. Um, he went out with the first wave of captives with King Jehoiakim, and that was the group of princes and nobles that went. So it wasn't the common people. Um, these, are, these are people, so he, you know that from that, that he'd known responsibility, he'd known authority firsthand. Um, and that had already been established in him at a very young age. He'd also lived in Jerusalem itself, so he, he'd known and experienced the grandeur of temple worship. He knew what that was all about. And then he'd seen his king imprisoned like a common criminal in Babylon. But his devotion to be and do who God created him to be and do never wavered. Never wavered. 
We know that he interceded under some dangerous circumstances sometimes with conniving people that were around him that were jealous of his influence with the kings of Babylon. And that was, that was more than likely due to the fact that he was a continuing spiritual influence in the lives of many of Babylon's kings from his youth all the way up through to his later years, into his 80s and beyond. But that's also an element of expansion that God is working with the saints as he's going to be taking us before leaders and before people in authority to speak his truth. So I saw that connection there right away. He fasted, he wore sackcloth, he utilized the concept of ashes in his life by demonstrating contrition before the Lord. He prayed and supplicated daily before God. And in all of this, he was without the benefit of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? He was without the benefit of the grace gift of divers' tongues. That kind of just floored me right there. I mean, I knew that, but I mean, when you stop and think about it, he's operating on a, a completely different level. And um, he was without a pastor to direct or teach him. And he was without a church body to support him. And that was Daniel's lifestyle. It was who he was throughout his entire life into his 80s, like I said, and beyond. So, you know, no excuse here for God can't use me because I'm too young or God can't really, I'm no more effective because I'm so old. No excuse of any of that because he had it all. He set, he set the standard, the bar pretty high. And yet his level of revelatory insight was on the same par with the beloved apostle John while he was in what he saw while he was on the island of Patmos when he wrote the book of Revelation. That literally thousands of years before what John saw. In addition, the nature of his intercession, his commitment to what God wanted to do at that point on the earth, and his devotion to the process of peace are all what led up to this kind of somewhat amazing verse hidden away in Daniel 10, 12 that we're going to look at right here. And keep in mind when we read this that this is spoken by a heavenly messenger sent to Daniel. So Daniel 10, 12 says, Then said he, the heavenly messenger, Unto me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I am come for your words. That's a powerful statement about Daniel's commitment to purpose. The angel's message essentially was, from the first time you committed your heart, and remember what the heart is, it's the steering wheel for the mind, the will, and the emotions, all the things that tend to work against our spirit sometimes. From the time you first committed your heart to discern between how to use the things God was showing you and how to function in them practically, your debar words were heard. And I'm now come for your words. And of course, we can't overlook how Daniel also, the Lord noticed his humility towards God's will. Above all else in the relationship, in his relationship with the Father, Daniel was determined to do more than just experience uh, points of meeting up with the Lord. I guess that's the best way I can say it. He, he was not just an information gatherer. Uh, he wanted his own thinking 
to conform to the way God thinks. That was tantamount on his heart. And he wasn't, he wasn't content to just receive insight. He wanted to grasp how to use God's insight and how to serve the Father in that insight. And isn't that what we want in this hour? Isn't it what we need? <laughs> it is. So, you know, God is moving us into deeper territory in the realm, and we can no longer afford to wait for someone else to kind of direct us into what we should do. Not that we're always doing that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we're going into, we're moving into a deeper level of relationship. And we need to be seeking God for how to use what he's showing us and how to operate in those things in a practical way. Because as his authority, what does he want us to do with what he's showing us in the midst of battle? You know, we're representing him. And we need to move forward with what is revealed to us with skilled perception not just with hits in the dark or I hope this is the right thing or I guess this is, you know. If you'll remember what Debar words are, they're not only what God has said or is saying, but they give the details of how to fulfill what he said. So they carry within them the identity of that thing that God wants to accomplish and the details to fulfillment are always a pathway of what? Dominion. That's what, God's, that's what fulfilling God's truth is all about. Dominion, restoration, Renewed function. So, thank you in the back corner there. (laughs) Can you imagine receiving a message telling you that the Father of truth has heard your words of partnership and has dispatched angelic messengers to come to you because of those words? I mean, I know, right? The angelic messenger came because of the truth that Daniel had been emanating from within him, because of the truth that Daniel had been discerning, because of the truth that Daniel had been functioning in, Daniel knew how to glean and utilize what was said at the right hand skillfully and with precision. And you know, it's funny, without thinking too much about this, you can almost envision this angel kind of packaging up Daniel's words. I've come for your words. Packaging up Daniel's words in nice and neat in a little box and then flying them back up to God. But, But this word come, which is the word Hebrew word bow, is much more than... Um, I've stopped by to pick up your words, going to take them back to heaven where we're going to have them kind of framed, bronzed, and displayed. You know, it's no, Daniel's debar words of partnership were what the angelic forces used against the opposing forces. I feel like I'm ringing just a little. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that's okay. I can put up with the ringing if everyone else can. That's okay. Okay. It's also what enabled the angelic this angelic being, to step away from the battle in order to deliver the insight from the throne to Daniel and then return. Or in other words, to carry out the will of the Father. Daniel's words are what initiated the mission the angels were assigned. Yes? What do you mean by it's, it's new to take out, go out of the battle to do that? I'm going to tell you in just a second. Okay. So his words initiated, or what initiated the mission of the angels to deposit this amazing amount of end-time insight into the mind and spirit of Daniel. So let's read verse 13 and 20, where the angel is still speaking to Daniel, where he says in verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. And then verse 20 says, Then said he, still the angelic messenger, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto you? 
And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I'm gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. So does that make sense now? He was able to come from the battle because of these words as well. You know, yes, he had angelic forces that were backing him up, but all of, there was a lot of authority and power in what Daniel was releasing that fueled the angelic forces there that allowed then, him then to be able to continue on because his whole, bat, his whole uh, assignment from the beginning had been to come to Daniel. And he'd been sidetracked with this battle, you know, with the prince of Persia, the princes of Persia. For 120 days, he was able to hold them off. So until he had some reinforcements come in as well. So the demonic entity representing that region over Persia took a stand against this angelic messenger and against the assignment of God. And he was a reckoning force to hinder that mission for 120 days. And then it was Michael, of course, one of the highest angels in rank that, um, from the, that stepped in to offer assistance to this angelic messenger. So this unnamed angel's assignment, of course, was what? To help Daniel understand and discern what would occur in the end days with the spiritual people of God. But he utilized Daniel's partnership with God's truth to be able to come from and return to the place of battle for that region. And he utilized his words to release the plans God had for his people. Is that making sense or not? Uh, you give him a... The, Oh, you're right. I read that completely wrong. Yeah, Not that, 120 days, 21 days. That Sorry about that. That was my question. I can't, you know, math was never one of my strong points. <laughs> That's my story and I'm sticking with it. Okay, that was my question because I, I thought it was 21 days, you're, which is where we exactly got the 21-day right. fast. Okay. Exactly right. Thank you. I didn't even catch that ever. Okay, duh. All right, so 21 days. It was, so... It's still a long time, yeah. After all this, so, but after all this time in this walk, are we still cognizant of the power of our words in prayer? I mean, do we think about how much the battles in the spiritual realm rely upon what we're partnering with regarding God's present desires? We, yeah, I mean, we need to be thinking about that. <laughs> do we consider how much the angelic realm is counting on our partnership, staying current with what God wants to do? in order for it to be fulfilled? Yes, sir. I had something else I wanted to add to that. People tend to forget how powerful the enemy is when you let him. If you let him in the door, it's hard to push him back out if you're not ready. And I think that's where people get all messed up, you know. Well, I just can't do it. Yeah, you can if you were prepared beforehand. Yeah, yeah. But then once it, once it happens, you really need to get down on your knees and, and pray that God will help you. Good point. That's why I'm thankful for this walk. That, but we need to keep ourselves stirred up and recognizing and engaging, you know, so that what we're, what we're producing is really words that the angels can use, you know. Um, I know that these, aren't, these are not things that are unknown to us, but are we still approaching our prayer times with the same intensity and urgency that this reality requires? And I just felt like, when's the last time we felt the urgency? Hopefully it was 
the last time we were in commune, but that urgency to be in commune and prayer because the army of hosts were waiting for our words. You know, because when I read this, it definitely caused me to pause and reflect anew about this. And this falls right in line with what God has been emphasizing in Zechariah 8, that we're to execute the judgment of truth and peace in the gates. That's exactly what Daniel was doing. You know, he represented God, and he represented God's purpose by joining his prayers with what God was saying at the right hand. Okay. He committed himself to seeing that completed. He, he did not leave that assignment until the completion occurred. And he never lost his hunger to continue in this. You know, he may no longer have been in Jerusalem, but God purposely placed him in Babylon to take a stand for that region, to assist the function of those gates, regardless of the spiritual opposition and regardless of the present spiritual condition of that city in the natural and Daniel set his heart to do exactly that. Well, we're trading off the microphone again here. You've got to admire this guy. He was like a sole outpost in many ways. Um, yeah, I, the interesting thing about Daniel uh, is that he was current in the prophetic words that had been written because he realized that it was time. He, he realized the timing of God for the deliverance of his people. And, and so he was actually joining in because he knew the time. He, he, was, he was partnering with God. He was giving himself saying, okay, it's been the 70 years. It's, you know, what do I need to do to bring about what you have prophesied is going to happen. And he, had, he was giving himself in a, um, a, a full uh, representation of, of the people of, um, of Israel. And he was repenting for all of the people. It was that, that uh, what they call it, generational or... Uh, identificational. Identification, repentance. He, he was taking the responsibility to say, mm -hmm. uh, we are ready now. You know, this is the time for us to come out of captivity. And, and so it, it was that um, moment uh, that God had prepared him to partner with the angelic. And, and so all this was, you know, just an amazing... Um, well, he knew that he knew the uh, captivity time was drawing near. It, w it wasn't there just yet. Right, right. Yeah. So did you want to say something, Carmen? Thank you, pastors. Um, Pastor Larry, remind me that uh, identity today in this world, us as saints are claiming our identity. Whereas when we see people who are complaining on Facebook or are talking to us or whatever in the news, anywhere, when they complain about anything, they are not claiming any identity right. that is useful to making forward progress right. at all. I just think that's... Nobody knows their identity. <laughs> but you think that, you know, so he was there when they first were brought into captivity. And for that 70 years, I mean, he heard the proclamation. He knew what, what was prophesied for this Babylonian takeover, basically. And he knew that they, mm -hmm. were, they were committed to, to this land for that 70 years. And so that was, his, that was his prep time. I mean, 
his dedication and his, that his was going his, before the Father, that, that was, was his, his mission, yeah. So when you get to this point in his life, when, you know, it's been, his words have been that 21 days, you know, this is the only recorded we have of his angelic encounter with, the, with you know, the supernatural. But you wonder, you know, was this the first one? Or is this to him, you know... Oh, he had several. Right. Throughout, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, from the time he was young, I mean, you got to figure... Oh, yeah. From this whole, this whole time... He'd been doing you know, this. He'd been doing this. He'd seen his friends, you know, almost incinerated, you know, and all along the way, they've been walking this walk of, okay, we're committed to God. Okay, we're committed to God. You know, this has got to be where we stand because they've, they knew his hand was on them. But you just realized that 70 years, that's a long sila. Yeah. Committed to what God was doing, too. Yes. Not just yeah, committed not, right. to God, because there's a lot of people who love the Lord dearly that are committed to God, but they don't know that they're supposed to be committed to what he's actually doing, right? They don't know what he's doing. When you can tell that because he wasn't bucking the system. He right. wasn't trying to say, okay, when can we free ourselves? Right. When can we overthrow the throne? There wasn't, he wasn't trying to do a coup in the middle of the captivity. Right. I mean, it's, and some people might have said, well, you're just, you're just going with the flow. You're just letting this happen. You know, it's like, well, you got to go back to God's judgment and what he said would happen. And so I'm going to work with that. Right. And not, not try and change the times by his own good thinking. Well, and his words fortified the gates over that region so that the doors could be open for spiritual insight to pour in. You know, and he had he had an influence on the kings, on several of the kings' lives. You know, this is what being a gatekeeper is about, and it's where God is expanding us to hear from His throne, and know specifically what that is, and then know how to operate in what we hear, regardless of the conditions or the situations around us. And that's whether He's using us in the natural realm or in the spiritual realm at the time. So Daniel acted as a ruler. I mean, that's what executing judgment is about. He acted as a ruler in the place where God had positioned him. He acted as a spiritual ruler. It didn't matter that his position was no longer in the earthly temple in Jerusalem. I mean, he could no longer walk down to that glorious place that was a pattern of heaven itself, but that didn't matter. It didn't matter that the kingly leadership established by God was no longer functioning at all. You know, It didn't matter that he wasn't surrounded by a bevy of intercessors. I'm not really sure if intercessors come in bevies or gaggles. I mean, but <laughs> it might be a flock, a flock of intercessors, a squab. <laughs> I kind of like that one, a squab. He still represented God where he was. And, you know, it's easy to read this and miss out on the, on the real details of what he was going through. You know, it's just like, oh, this is a great story. But, I mean... This was, in, he, this was intensity, man. This was, this was really something. He pushed ahead with the purpose of God in that place, as profane as it was, by meeting with God every day of his life and laying claim to what God wanted to do. And then once he determined what God wanted to do, then he functioned in that. And that's executing the judgment of truth. That's fulfilling what God has said at the right hand. And he did it all with great humility. And this is what caused a point of spiritual dominion for God to be known in that region. And it's what opened up amazing insight to Daniel for what was coming and for the days that lie ahead for us. So this ability to function in the truth of God and to advance it on this earth and in the realm 
is really what is at the crux of this end-time battle that is here and intensifying an effort. We've got to be supplied with continual fresh directives from the throne. We know this. That's not a new word for us this morning, but it is exhortative in nature because without a continual source flowing into each of us, we're not going to be able to function in the way we need to in the assignments that he has for us tomorrow. We're not going to be able to function the way we've been functioning in these new assignments. It's just like, that's like trying to put old wine into new wineskins. So because of truth, because of what God is doing and wants to do, that's, that's become, truth has become the prey of the hour. P-R-E-Y, not P-R-A-Y. <laughs> you know, the battle of the end days is totally against truth, against the fulfillment of what God wants to do on this earth and in the spiritual realm. And we see this battle against truth just in the natural things around us already. I mean, people who are driven by power, greed, and their love for money, they're fighting for their version of the truth. They're, they're fighting for ownership of the narrative, you know, where their own words literally contradict one another from one day to the next. They doesn't matter. We're going to say it anyway, to the point that they don't even care if their version kills innocent people. All they want is their addition of truth to reign. We see it where our leaders say one thing one minute, and then in the next moment, they're blaming the other side for the very thing that they once demanded, all while disavowing that they ever even said that or wanted it. <laughs> it's so, and so many people aren't seeing this. They're not even seeing this. You know, we see it in the wave to rewrite history and completely cancel out culture. We see it in the effort to create division amongst people groups and then to disavow any sharing of ideas or information. It's, it's one way or no way, you know. And then, of course, we see it in the push to invalidate and weaken Scripture itself. The fight to override truth is the real deal in this hour. And any type of truth these days, whether spiritual or natural, is not only a rare commodity, it's under attack. But like Daniel, God has called us to be gatekeepers. And this was a part of our prayer assignment last Thursday. You know, when we gathered to pray in the gates, and I think we're going to be having some other assignments like that, uh, similar to this. I don't know about you, but God had po positioned me in a, in a uh, flow point where the river of life flows down upon the earth. And he was showing me a physical result of that flow on the earth where new life was springing up and flourishing and the earth began to function in ways that it had never functioned before. He was showing me a spiritual result of that flow where it was a, an ongoing resource to advance God's truth across the earth and a conquering force to overcome obstacles and opposing forces that would try to hinder that flow. And he showed me how he used that living water to replenish the ancient wells that had become dry through time through misappropriation. And it was, it was really, truly an amazing time. And I, I felt this spiritual transaction occur that I'd never experienced before. But while this was an assignment of obedience before the Lord, it's not enough to just see these things. Right. You know, I've been seeking out how I'm supposed to function in these things. What is my part of investment in these? You know, what did God reveal to each of you? What gate or gates were you interceding for? because you have the same responsibility to invest yourself in them and re represent God in that place. This is our responsibility to execute truth and peace in the gates. So looking back at Daniel, 
when he was given the vision of individuals who would rise up to power in the last days, verse 12 of chapter 8 indicates the real power struggle. It's over whose version of truth is going to be exalted. Daniel 8.12 says, And a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. This word host indicates a mass of people with an emphasis on war. So it's speaking more of an army being at one's disposal, at this individual's disposal. So I'm not really here to discuss the identity of this person, um, but it is speaking of some end-time character rising against God and the saints, and this particular individual utilizes some sort of antagonistic force to aid him in his ongoing rebellion against God. And that army, whether it's spiritual and or natural, casts down the truth. Whatever God is saying from the right hand, and however he's directing for it to be fulfilled, it's literally being thrown out like the evening trash. And even though there is a measure of fruitfulness and advancement that occurs for this demonic force in doing this, in his casting down of truth, it's not lasting. Yay. <laughs> However, it is something that we're going to have to function proficiently in the midst of. I think we're getting the inklings of it now. But God is leading us to be able to be very efficient uh, in our functioning in the midst of this. What we've experienced this last year and a half has probably caused us to shake our heads and, and wonder how so many people could be so deceived, you know, in so many different areas. But that's just a precursor. He's just, he's just wetting our appetite <laughs> for where he's going to be using us. And that's, that's, we've, that's just a precursor to how God's truth has really been attacked and vilified. Daniel had the unique position of living in Babylon under several dynasties and several kings, nine, actually, nine different kings in his 80-plus years. He never returned to Jerusalem again, but that wasn't his goal. You know, it wasn't his goal to get out of the problems he was in. He was fully aware of why God's people were in Babylon under pagan rule, and that's kind of what Carmen was alluding to just a minute ago. He was not one to mince words when it came to God's truth. He had been listening, as, as Pastor said, to the prophets when they gleaned God's desire from the right hand. He knew what the warnings had been. He knew what the righteous path was, and he knew that they hadn't taken it. And in the midst of great humility and repentance on behalf of Israel, he made this declaration in Daniel 9.13. As it's written in the law of Moses, all of this evil, all of this raw is come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth or thy emet. So he pegs the reality of their captivity directly on what brought it about, their own iniquity. You know, They were living in the midst of twisted purpose. That had never been God's intent for them, but that had been their choice. And yet they still, even in that, had not submitted their own weakness to the plans and purpose of God's heart. Now, that word for prayer is halal. It's not to be confused with halal. It's not a prayer term at all. And I'm kind of really confused as to why the, the scribes ended up translating it, interpreting it as prayer. But it's more of being rubbed or worn until you end up in a state of weakness, sickness, disease, or affliction. 
it, it's kind of a type of affliction in itself that brings you to this point. And God was using the twisted purpose of Babylon to purposely afflict the people so he could do a work within them if they would allow him. You know, He wanted to turn them from their iniquities, from those bent places within their thinking, and replace that bent thinking with the understanding of God's truth, his amet. And just as he wants for us, God wanted to teach his people to understand how to carry to completion what he was showing from the right hand. He wanted them to be skillful. He wanted them to be circumspect in their advancement and their fulfillment of the truth, and that's what he wants for us now. You can see how God in his uh, infinite wisdom understood what it would take to change people's hearts. Uh, you know, it, this wasn't a slap on the hand. This was a right. serious uh, consequence that, that brought them to a point where they were longing, where, where they were saying, yeah, we've got to get back to God. We, we have to come back to the place where uh, he wanted us to be, and we want to stay in that place. We don't want to continue in the um, stuff that brought us here to begin with. So there, there really had to be that change of thinking. And it, it, God knew it was going to take 70 years. And, and he knew it was going to be Daniel that was going to be that uh, gatekeeper. And, and so this was, this was um, a, a calculated plan of the Father to bring about a nation, change a nation's attitude so that everyone was on the same page. Well, if you think about it, it's very much like the transition that he's leading us into right now because he needed their mindsets to be in a different place. He needed them to be functioning in a different way than how they'd functioned as they returned to Jerusalem because are things going to be the same when they got back to Jerusalem? Mm -mm. No way. For one thing, they weren't going to have that glorious temple to be a part of anymore. So now they're going to have to just rely on, oh, God's presence. <laughs> My goodness. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be more of a personal relationship. And they had to have their thinking changed. So, um, where was I? Oh, being God's right-hand man, so to speak. <laughs> That's a play on words. Right hand from the throne man. He's been, never mind. <laughs> to, to know what God was showing and how to accomplish it in the right way, that was the main focus for Daniel. And it's, that's what's got to be ours as well especially as we segue into new territory where we're going to encounter things spiritually that we've never encountered before. We've got to know how to, how to function, how to work in them, how to utilize what he's shown us, what he's showing us for the benefit of what he wants to do in that spiritual atmosphere. Um, and this is why God's reminding us of who we were made to be and what he created us to do in this time frame. He needs us to step into this next phase of spiritual growth so we can assist him in what he wants to do in his church and in the nations according to his eternal timetable. It's time. The 70 years is done. It's time. <laughs> the church, in many ways, is kind of in this Babylon position. You know, They're not listening to what God's saying at the right hand. Hey, they don't even know they're supposed to be. You know, uh, I'm not slamming them. They don't know. And instead, they formed their own narrative of truth. But it's not going to be a matter of simply walking into a congregation, I don't think, and delivering a message of truth. I mean, God may work in that way at times, 
I think there's, there's going to be opposition because of what's been established over the framework of the church to this point in, in, by the enemy. Um, so God needs us to be able to discern what he's saying for that moment and then know how to bring it into being. And this is why he's hitting us so hard at who we're really supposed to be and at our commitment and our devotion to be that. His truth is what will change the bent thinking of the church and help them to begin to prosper in his truth. But we need to be positioned much like Daniel was in our personal relationship with God so we'll be ready and prepared as vessels of that truth. So we'll be cognizant of our responsibilities in the gates and so we'll be able to actually execute the judgment of truth and peace in the gates to rule. I mean, we're coming into that ruling time frame. So let me just end with um, a couple of verses because they really speak of the prize that lies before us on this journey. I didn't want to just drop all of this stuff and kind of talk about the downing aspects, the downer aspects, you know, because there's, there's some marvelous promises that God gave Daniel as well for us. Daniel 11.32 says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Those who know their God, who talk to him in thanksgiving and praise about what he's done and what he's going to do, will in turn receive new things revealed to them. This type of relationship will enable us to grasp what and how God wants to do a thing. And as a result, it's going to enable us to do exploits, which if you look at the definition of that, that's talking about disassembling or corrupting the plans of the enemy. That's some exploits. Daniel 12, 1 through 3 says, And at that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, a time of tightness and affliction, such as never was seen, uh, since as never, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. Wow, got to love the king's English. And at that time thy people shall be the, delivered, they shall be offered an opportunity to slip by or to escape, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. What a promise God has provided to us as saints in the midst of Daniel's story. You know, as we commit ourselves to being expanded in whatever way God requires and devoted to the emet of God in all our ways, that same truth shines forth from us. And isn't that what we've been discussing about others who will grab onto the hem of our garments and say, of a truth I know, of a truth I know that, that you are worshiping, you know how to worship God, let me come and go with you. Let me come and worship with you. Let me come and begin to know who I am, who my, what my identity is in the Lord. I thank God for Daniel and so many others who've come before us who are willing to pave the way, some under some very difficult circumstances, to pattern the type of people that God is looking for. We are not called to be Daniel, but we are called to join our prayers with what the Father is releasing from the right hand. 
we are called to function skillfully in the deeper ways that he wants to fulfill that release. And we are called to live in ongoing humility. We want to offer words that will fuel the angelic in the end time battle and that, that we're going to be a part of. Words that that angelic host will come for and because of. Amen? Amen. Amen. And, you know, I kind of had a, my oldest grandson, I saw him in here praying this morning, and then I saw him, he, he drew a vision of what he was seeing in the spirit. I don't know if you can see it. It's like a fortified castle type of a fortified defense. And he says, he will be with us wherever we go. We need to make sure we keep him on top. That's what the, the whirling at the top is. I don't know if it's, he does have a red in there. I don't know what, oh, it's, a, it's like a banner maybe. Yeah. So we need to make, he, he nailed it. That's pretty much the crux of what I just said. So. <laughs> Should have just started with that, huh? We could have been, we could have just been praying all this time. 